Church family, if you have your copy of God's Word, whether you have a printed copy as I prefer or a device on your phone or an app on your device rather, find 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And as you find the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, this morning it's my high honor to preach to you from God's holy word from verse 12 down through verse 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 20. For those of you who are guests of ours, we are walking through the book of 1 Corinthians verse by verse. That is the pattern of the preaching ministry here at Church at the Mill. It's called biblical exposition. And we believe it from the bottom of our feet to the top of our head that it's the most faithful way to exposit the scriptures into your life. And in our journey through this letter written by Paul to a church in a city called Corinth, we come to this series of sermons we began a few weeks ago called Church Matters. It is by design a play on words. Church matters matter. And what I mean by that is church matters matter. It matters to the Lord that we handle the matters that arise within our faith family. If it matters to him, it should matter to us. Church matters. And therefore, when matters of the church come into play, it matters to God that we do it according to his will, which is given to us clearly in his Word. We've been tackling some great subjects, and we are continuing through that journey today. Last week was especially rich as we dwelt upon the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts that the gift of the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. We're going to return to that when we get over into chapter 14. But we come today to somewhat of a contrast. No sooner has Paul dealt with spiritual gifts in the first part of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that he comes today to a rather physical analogy. I don't want to put anybody on edge here. I don't want to make you feel bad, but today we got to talk about the body, your body. Yeah, the one you're sitting in right now, that body. Now, not all of you enjoy a glorious body. I tell you, it's not all it's cracked up to be. <laughs> I was thinking about this message this week as I studied this passage of Scripture. From about 16 to about 21, I never thought about my body. I just did whatever I wanted to do. I would go to bed with a piece of pizza. I'd wake up with a piece of pizza. Yet now, every night, I go into our bathroom there, and Laurel has a sink on the left side. I have a small sink on the right side, my razor and toothbrush, and I pull out the top drawer, and there is my vitamin collection. And COVID got me into vitamins, and I take nine every night. I mean, I take zinc and fish oil and magnesium. Can I get an amen on that one? I take, I take all this stuff, right, and I'm interested in intermittent fasting and trying to eat correctly, and usually the wheels come off of my dieting track in and around duck season, so after the end of December and January, I try to tighten things up, and I pay attention, and I'll tell you why. Everybody talks about the big 4-0. When I hit 40, I felt nothing. It was great, but when I hit 45 last year, it, it just caught me. 
Now, when I watch my children play sports, I'm sore from the bleachers. I didn't even play in the game. But once the game is over, by the time I unfold and get down off the bleachers, they're at the car waiting. I just don't move the way that I once moved. And I understand some of you are looking at me with great ill repute saying, he's only 45. He has no idea what's waiting on him. The body, though, is a fascinating thing. When you study the body in biology, you learn the systems of the body. There are several systems, the circulatory system, the nervous system, the respiratory system, the digestive system, skeletal system, the muscular system. The muscular system has lost me. I've lost it. But every other system in our body is really fascinating how the God that we serve has designed us the way we do. And one of the things you learn as you learn to take care of your body, which actually is a biblical mandate, is that there is unique divisions in these systems, and yet all of them affect each other. This is basic biology. And it's been this way since God created man and woman in his own image. The human body is a fascinating organism. It is our vessel to serve the Lord. It has a place not only in this life, but in the life to come because we will still have a very real, very physical body. It will be our body, but it will be our body fully glorified, not affected by the curse of sin. So it's our body without disease, our body without age, our body without anything that was related to the death that entered the garden when man and woman rebelled against the Lord God there in Genesis and we've seen the unfolding of that. And when we think about the body, it makes perfect sense that the New Testament writers, especially Paul, drew the parallel between how the human body works and how the body of Christ works. In fact, in the Scriptures, one of the great symbols used for the church is that we are the body of Christ. Now, now, when we think about the body of Christ and you think about the health of anybody, you can read more now than you've ever read about taking care of your body. There are all kinds of theories and diets and Instagram and content influencers are constantly bombarding us with a new way to eat or not eat, new foods to eat, new ways to lose weight, new ways to improve or reduce your blood pressure, new ways to create a better body. And, and if you want to take all the science, I'm not talking about people's opinion, but that which is proven, that which we know to be true, what you find is that you can condense body care down to two simple categories. Put healthy stuff in your body and keep moving. It really is that simple. If you put healthy things in your body, i.e. the food, the nourishment, the vitamins, the water that you need, and you stay away from the unhealthy things, and you stay in movement, your body will function to the fullest of its potential. Now, all of us have different potential. We all have different sets of struggles because of the curse of sin. But a body in motion and a body being fed well is a body that will have the greatest potential 
to be its full measure of health as God intended it. We like to use those two nasty words, diet and exercise. But what does diet refer to? What you put into your body. What does exercise refer to? What you do with your body in movement. And most physicians will tell you that if you put the right stuff in your body and you stay active, your health will absolutely 100% improve. That's true for the church. It's one of the reasons why I feed you weekly. It's why we don't do sermonettes at church at the meal. You want to eat on this all week, and so we try to give you the depth of the word. But if a church is just eating well and not moving, it will eventually lose its health. The body of Christ should be fed. That's my job. That's your small group leader's job. That's your job when you open your word in the morning and pray and begin your day, which I hope you do. But the body of Christ was not just designed to be fed the word of God, to be nourished by the spirit of God. The body of Christ was designed to move, to fight, to gain ground. This morning, I'd like to preach to you a message called Form and function. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12 together. I'll read it out loud if you'll read along with me silently in your version of God's word. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks or slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Verse 15, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Form and function is a medical, a biological term. One medical journal said it this way. There is a direct relationship between the form, that's the shape of a human body part, molecule, cell, tissue, organ, organ system, and the way it functions. The relationship between the two features is often expressed as form and function. Form determines function, the shape of the body part directly affects what it can do. You can have a perfectly good ear but it will not function as your kneecap. You can have a wonderful brain, but your brain cannot replace your heart. And the function of your brain has everything to do with how God formed it, and the way God formed it has everything to do with the function it carries out. Now, that's exactly what Paul is talking about here. The form and function of the body. What do we see when we study the body of Christ in relationship to form and function? Well, 
First, we see unity. Look what the Bible says in verse 12. For just as the body is one, and that word one is mentioned six times between verses 12 and verse 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks or slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For him to say that six times means that oneness matters. One of the things that guts churches of their effectiveness is when they lose their unity. Unity is not uniformity, praise God. Unity is not a leader standing on a stage and demanding that you dismiss your individual personalities, your passions, your gifts, your abilities. If you ever find yourself inside of a situation where one leader with his or her charisma or influence demands that you conform every thought and every idea to his thoughts and ideas, you've just joined a cult. The church is not uniformity. The church is unity. Unity is really spoken to in these two verses about what we have mutually together. First, there's mutual ownership. Now, we know that Christ is the head of the church. The book of Ephesians says it this way in speaking of the body. And he put all things under his feet. Now, the first he in that sentence is God. The second he is the Lord Jesus. So, we could supply that for the personal pronouns. And God put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills all in all. So if you picture the church as a human body, you don't have to worry about the head. We don't worry about the head of that body. We worship the head of that body. It is Christ. The church is not the head of the body. Pastors are not the head of the body. Overseers, elders, bishops are not the head of the body. Christ is the head of the body. Now, the way this works sometimes, I think, is lost in translation. So, just a few days, I'm leaving for the Holy Land. I'm taking a group of you to Israel. I can't wait. If you want to go, I'm going to go every year for a while until I give every person the opportunity to go in our church. If you have the resources and the ability to go, I encourage you to do it. It is a great investment. And when we go there, we're going to see a lot of really cool stuff that is there just as it was in the Bible. But let me tell you who we won't see. Jesus is not there. In fact, the last day we will have the Lord's Supper at a place called the Garden Tomb. They don't know exactly, but they do know this tomb is in proximity to where the tomb Jesus was laid in. And one of the most powerful things is to step into that tomb and see who is not there. All the other religious leaders of the world have a grave you can go to, and they are still there. But my Savior is not in his grave. And so when you step into it, you won't see him there. You won't see him here. In fact, you can't see him anywhere. Why? Because he is at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. He will not descend to this earth again in bodily form until his second coming, which means there is no physical body of Christ on earth the way it was the day 
he resurrected, showed his scars, and then subsequently, a few days later, ascended into heaven. Which means, if there are hands and feet and eyes and ears and mouths and hearts doing the work of God, it's my body, it's your body, it's his body. The church is the physical representation of Christ on this earth. This is his redemptive plan. And so what we find is that there's ownership among us. Look what the Bible says in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one, so it is with Christ. There's something unique about my two ears that are different in relationship to your two ears. Your ears, if you're healthy and your hearing is not affected, mine is not, relatively speaking, my hearing functions fine. Uh, I, you know my mouth functions fine, but my hearing functions fine. The fundamental difference between my two ears and everything that makes up my ability to receive sound and interpret it into my mind as meaning, the only difference between my two ears and your two ears is that your two ears, ears belong to you. They're not mine. I've had mine since I was me. In fact, in the womb of my mother, I was given a heart Two ears, two eyes, and every other organ that you see before you. I don't have yours. They're mine. And by default, that means my ear belongs to my mouth. My ear, heaven help us, has had to put up with this mouth my whole life. Your ears receive from my mouth weekly. Imagine living with them daily. Y'all need to lay hands on Laurel's ears. The, the, the reality is, my organs have mutual ownership. My heart belongs to my feet. It is my mouth that begins the process of turning food into nutrients in my digestive system to feed my body. I can't eat for you. I wish I could. I can't do that, nor can you. It's a very simple, simple truth, but it's true about the church too. We belong to one another. I need you to be you for me to be me in the body of Christ. We not only have a mutual ownership, we have mutual origin. Just like when you were put together in the womb of your mother and God formed you to be you, when the church was born, we all came into the church the same way, by the blood, through the Spirit, which is why in verse 13, Paul says these words, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. In other words, we were made the church at baptism. Now, that reference there is not water baptism. Water baptism is the outward sign of someone joining the body, but water baptism is merely that sign, an act of obedience. Water baptism represents redemption, and one of the aspects of it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We got into this briefly last week when we talked about the difference in Baptistic theology and Pentecostal or Charismatic theology. And one of the differences that we hold with our brothers and sisters in the Charismatic faith is not that we don't celebrate and believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We absolutely do. 
The difference is the occurrence or the timing. The scriptures bear out, as I understand them, that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens upon the day of salvation, that when we come to know the Lord. Now, this is referenced throughout all the scriptures, but primarily the preaching of John the Baptist. When John the Baptist came baptizing in water, he would say things like he said in Mark 8, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So don't be afraid of the terminology. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is a very biblical and wonderful truth. Paul's talking about it here. However, what we understand in Scripture is that the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion. We take our cues from what Paul said in the book of Romans. Paul says these words. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't obey the Lord fully without the Lord fully living in you. The most exhausted person in the room is the person who's trying to live according to the teachings of the Christ of the book without the Christ of the book living in you. You cannot live out the Bible till the Lord of the Bible lives in you. You can conform your behavior for a period of time. You can be very obedient to a set of rules and regulations, but you will be dead spiritually and exhausted in your effort until the Spirit of God comes to live in you. But notice what Paul says. That you, talking to the church, those in the room that are saved, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. That's a pretty simple statement. Watch. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Paul never differentiated. To trust and believe in Christ and to be saved is to to receive and be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, to be honest with you, that does not mean that throughout my Christian life, I cannot have great moments of revelation from the Holy Spirit where he reveals something in me that is not according to God's will. It doesn't mean I can't have fresh and new encounters with the Lord. It doesn't mean that he can't establish his lordship in an area of my life I've been hanging on to. So I'm not not afraid of experiencing great movements of the Spirit, but I don't need more of him. He needs more of me. God is not a God who is stingy. He does not sprinkle his spirit. He gives us the person of the Holy Spirit to come and live in us. And every person in the room who is a body part, a member of the body, got into the body the same way. So there's that great unity. But then second, by the time we get to verse 14, we see diversity in form and function. Look what happens after Paul has established this. For the body does not consist of one member. You remember Mr. Potato Head? Remember that? Never could find all the parts. They were supposed to, there was a compartment on his backside. You open that up and they were supposed to stay all in there. There's a picture for you. But, but you end up losing them. But one of the things that, that, that always sh- struck me as odd about Mr. Potato Head because it's a child's toy and because they're still developing their fine motor skills, um, you know, the, the organs were really big. You slap that nose on Mr. Potato Head, it just looked like a nose with two feet. And while that's ludicrous, it's silly to think about, that's exactly what Paul's saying. Notice what he said in verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. You don't have a human being if you have a nose or a ear. He goes on to say, if the foot should say, because I am 
not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. You, you all know that there are essential organs, but you know something about any part of your body? Number one, if you lose it or you lose the function of it, it will affect your health. And number two, if it loses you, it will be dead in a matter of moments. In fact, if you've ever met someone who lost a finger or perhaps had to have a limb or a finger reattached because of a car wreck, you know that it has to happen very quickly or that organ tissue will die without fresh oxygenated blood entering into it. And in fact, if someone has on a construction site or in some, in some type of fab shop, if a finger is severed quickly, they get the wound and it, at times the body part on ice and get to the doctor as quickly as possible. And that doesn't mean that the finger can always be reattached. And even if it is, it doesn't mean that it functions because of the thousands of nerve connections and all the things that happen. There are physicians, especially in the world of orthopedics, that give their whole lives to just the human hand or just the human foot because of how magnificent God made these organs to perform literally millions of tasks in our lives. This is what Paul is saying here when he speaks to diversity. Diversity determines validity. In other words, because I have all my parts, I am valid in being a body. But diversity does not determine value. The foot is not less or more valuable than the hand. Remember the form and function? No body part you have can ever do what your feet are designed to do. Now, we can adapt in tremendous ways. We've all seen amazing individuals born with some form of deformity or born with some form of disability, and they're able to make up for. I saw recently a young woman born without arms who could do things with her feet I could never imagine because from her birth, she had had to learn to adapt these organs. But on her best day, her feet can never function fully the way healthy hands of another can function. And so in the simple metaphor, this is what Paul is saying. Nobody in the room gets to be down on your gifts and your abilities because they don't function the way you see others function. And the moment that starts creeping into your life, you figure out the two movement stoppers of the body. You know what stops the body of Christ from moving? It's two attitudes. One is, I'm useless to the body. I don't bring anything. You don't know where I've been. You don't know how I've struggled. You don't know the addiction I once dealt with. You don't know how promiscuous I used to be. You don't know how my marriage is falling apart. You, you don't know, Pastor, how wrecked my personal life is. I don't bring anything to the table that this church can use. That is a lack of faith. Lovingly, lovingly, with, with, with certainly no desire to be insensitive to your struggles. That's selfishness in the form of you're making it about you. You're saying that the risen Lord cannot use your life. You don't get to determine that. He can. If he can cause a virgin to have a baby, split the Red Sea, and put two of every animal on a boat, I don't care what you've done, he can use you. The second way the body stops is when people go, oh, I'm good without the body. I don't need the body 
I'm kind of doing my own thing. That's a sin of pride, a lack of humility. You run rogue. It's me and Jesus. I slide into church at the meal and I enjoy it at nine o'clock. I get my word. I, 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 I like the music and sometimes T.J. Norton's funny. But I'm good. I'm living my Christian life. When that begins to creep into your life, what you recognize is, is that you're not good. I woke up this morning with two fully functional hands. If you sever any of these from my body, they will die within moments. And so when we think about the diversity, where does it come from? Well, what did Paul say to the Galatian believers? He said these words in the book of Galatians. For as many as you were baptized into Christ, remember that happens when you're saved, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So in essence, nobody gets to come into the body of Christ and say, because of who I am, because of what I was, there's a limit to what God can do with my life in this body. In fact, I'll just be honest with you, pure observation, I've seen the opposite. Some of the most precious, sweetest, effective servants, body parts of church at the mill, members of the body here, are those people who were saved from a world of sin. Are those people that struggled for years with an addiction. Are those people that fought hard through the darkness of anxiety and depression. Are those people that have a failed marriage in their past. Some of the most precious servants of the Lord I've ever met are people who quickly tear up because they're praying for family members, even children they've raised who have walked away from the Lord are in rebellion. So don't sell God short and believe that somehow you were delivered into the body as a quick add-on and not a significant part. The last thing that you see in form and function, though, is necessity. I think this is the most powerful part of this passage. Look what the Bible says beginning in verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them. Some of you like to write in your Bible. Some of you don't. That's fine. But if you do, you literally could write your name down in this verse. That each one of them includes you. If you're here this morning and you have a relationship with the Lord, this includes you. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, your name included, as he chose. So, so it's his choice. And then Paul, again, makes another very elementary observation, but it's pretty powerful. If all were a single member, where would the body be? You remember when you had to do the dissection in lab, in biology, in high school or in college? You start with a frog or a rat or whatever animal, poor unlucky soul, and you pull it out of the formaldehyde and you lay it out there and you have a partner there and usually there's somebody that brings nothing to the table. They're just there and you're trying to do the work and then the young lady with the best handwriting labels the organs. That's what I always did. I was always the person in the group that said, hey, we're going to kill this. You do this and you do this and you do this and I'll make sure the professor likes me. And so, <laughs> so what you do is you start with a whole animal and you dissect it 
and you separate and you label and you identify the parts. And what's left on the tray doesn't even look like a frog because all the parts have been removed. This is what Paul's saying. He's saying if you come upon some deformed collection of parts, you don't have a body. You have body parts. If a church is not filled with diverse individuals with different gifts and different functions, you don't have a body. That's why a seminary's not a church. It's why a ministry to the homeless is not a church. These are outflows of the church, but typically the people who are drawn to minister to the homeless have that gift of compassion and mercy. People who are drawn to study theology in seminary are intellectual. They're writing, they're proclaiming, they're teaching, they're exhorting. But the church, the church needs it all. We need people with intellect. We need people who communicate. We need people who lead. We need people who serve. We need people who clean and people who cook and people who pray and people who go and people who share. And this is what Paul is saying. And, and I love the fact that he says in verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If you serve the Lord long enough, you're gonna come across somebody and they're gonna be so gifted in a particular area that's attractive to you, you can become jealous. I wish I could sing like her. I wish I could lead a discussion the way he does. Oh, I wish I had her gift with children. She can walk into a room and it's a hostage situation. And in just a few moments, she has them all sitting around her and, and they're enamored by the Bible study. I, I wish I had that gift. I, I wish I could share my faith the way he does. He's always talking to someone about it. I wish I had their financial discipline. I know they're not wealthy, but they give so generously and they, they control their income in such a way that honors the Lord. It's a good thing to notice what others do well and aspire to their example until you become so enamored by what they can do, you disregard and disrespect what God's called you to do. Which is why he says in verse 18, God's the one that chose. God's the one that designed it. In, in other words, we're necessary in, in, in by design and by default. In other words, God designed us the way he did to do what we do, and by default, we're demanded to do what we do by design, and in the diversity of the expression of our gifts, we become a unified body that Satan's paying attention to because we're shrinking hell and making heaven bigger. Not that we're saving people, but we have the enemy's attention around here. He pays no attention to weak and dying churches. They do nothing. They are a shell of what, the, what they once were. It's really sad when you think about the church in this analogy. Many of our churches are like walking through nursing homes when they ought to be like walking through NFL locker rooms. There's a difference between the bodies in an NFL locker room and the body in a nursing home. That's not anybody's fault, but if we press the metaphor, the body's in a professional locker room of athletes, you choose your sport of choice, are filled with young people strong at the height of their ability. Their nutrition, their attention to their diet, their attention to discipline and self-control is at an, such a high that society 
has created a market to pay them to use their body. And when you go to a nursing care facility, because of the curse of age, because of the curse of sin, because of the fact that all of our lives are limited, what you find are precious folks, but their physical bodies have broken down and will not recover on this side of heaven. There is no rehabilitation. No one leaves a nursing home for an NFL locker room. You leave an NFL locker room for a nursing home. So many of our churches are lacking the passion and the strength and the ability to be the body. And you may say, well, Pastor, that's not us. What do I do? Never assume health. Never assume that we're going to stay healthy or that we've arrived and can't get healthier. One of the verses that changed my life about leading a church was what Paul says in the fourth chapter of Ephesians in verse 16. He's comparing the church to the body and he says, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Now watch this. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I often use this analogy in our new member class. The last child Lord and I welcomed into this world was a total surprise. To us, not to God. Very shocked. Very, very, very shocked. We thought our bodies were unable. And when she was born, she was perfectly healthy. She's perfectly healthy today. Ruined and absent of the Spirit of God on her life right now. Mean as a snake, but perfectly healthy. It's because the first five we prayed for and planned on. She got no prayer over her life, and we're paying for it now. It's a terrible combination, men. Watch out. She's mean and beautiful. Those are the ones that will get you, boy. In about, mm, I would say, 18 to 21 years, she'll be some other man's problem, and we pray for him. She's adorable. We cannot imagine life without her. We love her. When she went to her six-month checkup, she was underweight. First thing they do to the pediatricians, the first thing they do when you get old, they measure you and weigh you. She was underweight, no problem. They said, we need to watch her. They ask us all the questions. I share this with every new member class. They said, sure, we'll watch her. She's playing. All her systems work great. We took her back for one year. She's still way underweight. She's just little. She's just little. I told the doctor, I'm like, look at her mama. She's just little. I said, Plus, she's number six. We gave away all our DNA. We tapped out. <laughs> so we get almost a year and a half, and she's still underweight. Our pediatrician said, we're going to give this a few more months, but if she doesn't begin to gain weight, we're sending you to a specialist. Now, our pediatrician's a wonderful lady, loves the Lord. She didn't do that to scare us. She did that because that's her job. Her job is to make sure that babies that she cares for are developing correctly. And the job of any parent is to say, if there's something odd here, 
we need to make sure we know what it is. Can it be treated? Is it a condition? Can we use some sort of medication? Is there something that she needs? Why? Because what are babies designed to do? Grow. So if they don't grow, some system within them cannot be functioning correctly. What is the church designed to do? Living things are designed to grow. And notice, Paul does not speak of attendance here. He says, builds itself up in love. If a church is growing in her love for the Lord Jesus and her love for her neighbor, attendance will always take care of itself. You don't have to worry about that. And so this is where you and I have to come to a place as a church and ask a simple question. Because when I see you, I see two things. I see great pastoral pride in the way many of you serve our church. And I see great potential in what many of you could do who are not currently serving. Right now, as you've listened to this message, I think about people like Tommy Godfrey. Tommy Godfrey's in his 70s this morning. He's been doing the same thing I've been doing during this hour. Like literally right now, this picture was taken in real time by our media team for this reason. Right now, this is Tommy, taken just a few minutes ago. Tommy's in his 70s. His wife went home to be with Jesus last March. He is a beloved small group leader. His class loved him. But in his personal quiet time, God convicted Tommy of impacting the next generation. He went to his class, and while they did not enjoy hearing the announcement, they supported him. He stepped down from his senior adult small group because he said, all you are saved and you've had a lot of Bible. He goes to our children's ministry and says, I want to teach the Bible to children during my last years on this earth. And Tommy taught fourth grade boys A this morning. He is a widower in his 70s, retired, teaching the word of God to fourth grade boys. What is your excuse? You don't have one. Today, we need 250 adults to help us in next-gen ministry. Over 900 children will be on this campus today. Today, we are larger than any elementary school twice a week with volunteer teachers. We need adults to step up today. Today, we need 75 adults to say, I'm ready to get in the pipeline to prepare to lead a small group or a discipleship relationship. We'd love to have 50 join our worship ministry, not because we want a bigger stage, but we're starting a new campus in May up at Lake Cooley, and there are more in the docket to come. And every one of those, we have to send out musicians and tech folks and vocalists and singers and choir members. We need that. And we need every person to engage in mission. When you leave this room, in just a moment, you're gonna be handed a little card and it is about serving our community in mission. On the cards, a, a, a way for you to prayer walk our city anytime you want. 
You can grab your kids, take the card, use the information on the card, go to downtown and prayer walk our city and strategically pray over every direction in this county. We, we don't want that as a nice add-on. Oh, look at the sweet people from Church at the Mill who were doing their prayer walk. I don't have time for that. We need to call down the fire of heaven on this community. People are dying of overdoses. They're dying of anxiety. Somebody lost, lost their life last night in this community at the gun that they held in their own hand. Marriages are falling apart. Children are ripped away from what it means to be innocent and pure. The enemy is doing his dance in and sex and drugs and all kinds of defilement. And yet, some of you are content to walk into this service, open your Bible, enjoy the message, and never lift a finger to serve the Lord Jesus until next week when you come back in and you get your little custom coffee and you come in this room and you listen to another message. Why would we ever do that? Why would we not say, God, I am a mother, I am a father, I am a husband, I am an employee, but is there room in my week to find one strategic ministry for me to serve in? Because I believe you arranged me to be a part of the body of Christ. And if we don't move, we die. This morning, in the Connection Corners, on either side of the concourse, Staff and volunteers are waiting for you to walk up to them and say, I don't even know where, but I'm ready to start the conversation of serving at Church at the Mill. There's a QR code like the one on the screen right now. You can snap it right now. You want to offend me? Pull your phone up. Some of you are playing a game anyway. Pull your phone up. Take a picture. If you have a game, you need to snap this. Take a picture of it. It'll take you to a code where you just fill out a survey. I'm ready to serve. I want to be a part of what God is doing. We're gearing up for a great movement of God at Easter, which will create more people, more opportunities. Yesterday, we had an incredible missions conference. And what encouraged my heart also broke my heart. I'm telling you, God was moving in such a palpable way, yet vast majority of the seats in the worship center were empty. And I'm so thankful for the hundreds who did participate, the 24 churches that were impacted, but I thought, what has to happen for us to wake up? Now, I'll tell you what I don't mean. Don't sign up for nine things. We don't want you to burn out. Remember, I'm not calling you to serve this church. I'm calling you to serve the Lord through your church. But find one or two strategic ways to serve and to grow in our ministries. When you leave, you're gonna be handed a card to pray for our city and to serve our community, serve the Berg days coming up. And when you leave, take a left or take a right or go through this and find a way to get encouraged and involved in the body. Don't be a dead body part.